As believers, why do we suffer? I thought Jesus died on the cross so we didn't have to. What do we think about suffering on this slice of fresh bread? Welcome to Fresh Bread, a podcast ministry of Grace Bible Church Gainesville with Pastor Brandon and Pastor Keith. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Fresh Bread Podcast 21. Fresh Bread, where we're serving the truth of God's Word to a starving world. I'm Pastor Keith. He's Pastor Brandon. Suffering. Suffering. Pastor Brandon, what should believers think about suffering? Avoid it at all costs. <laughs> That's been my motto through life, and look where it's got me. Yeah. No. I mean, I think suffering is, well, truthfully, it's a fact of life. You know, we all suffer. You know, when I was growing up, I remember fearing pain. I didn't want to suffer any pain. Hated shots. Hated when I hurt myself. Just just cringed to think about pain, you know, and as you get older, you realize that it's hard to avoid it. Mm -hmm. And and that pain actually has a, a purpose, and that is to keep us from injuring ourselves even further. I mean, it's a it's a deterrent from injuring ourselves. And so, you know, you take you take that and you put it into suffering. And then, you know, none of us like suffering. It's not something we want to do. You know, it's not natural to, to want to suffer. Yet, it is a fact of of life, and, and I think it's a fact of Christian life uh, that we do suffer. So then I guess the question is, what you know, what is the purpose of that? What is the purpose of, of suffering in, in the Christian life? Yeah, I mean, there's also, I don't want to say camps, but there's almost two different ways of looking at this. You have some who say that because mankind is created in God's image, God designed Adam and Eve to live forever, so he desires for us to be perfectly healthy. There are some ministries that use that thought, right, that Christians should not suffer. Then you have the other side over here, which we fall into because we, you know, we've suffered, but suffering is part of our walk. You, like you just said, we can't avoid it. I tried to outrun it, and I did a pretty good job, but it's going to catch you, and when you realize there's a purpose for it, it changes that. How is it? There's two different ways of looking at it. Well, I think that, quite frankly, I think those who are pushing this idea of not suffering, you know, in the Christian life, it's really a kind of a, it's a health and wealth, prosperity mm. type gospel that I, I don't have to suffer, that ultimately they profit off of it. It's a it's a profit for, for them to preach that health and wealth because people don't want to suffer. I mean, it's the same idea that we just talked about, trying to run from the pain. I, I don't like suffering. I don't like pain, and so I can I can get people to spend a lot of money to avoid pain. You know, I can get them to spend a lot of money on medication. I can get them to spend a lot of money on procedures, things that are going to you know make me healthier, wealthier, and stronger. And you know, you have these guys out there that you know unfortunately are preying on people and and preying on the the idea that they don't have to suffer in the Christian life. That somehow part of God's blessing in this life. He's going to be able to take away our suffering, you know, and I think it's, I think it's sad, you know, on the other side of the coin, there's a, you know, unfortunately, I think that there's, there's people who would push suffering for suffering's sake, you know, as a cross to bear, so to speak, which I don't think is right either. I mean, I don't, I don't think that as believers, we should be putting ourselves in a position of suffering for suffering's sake, just to say that we've 
we've suffered. There's plenty of suffering to go around. There's plenty of struggle in this world. I don't have to go seek it out. I don't have to go put myself in a position of being persecuted. I mean, I'm going to be persecuted just by standing for the truth, just by standing for the gospel and preaching the gospel. I'm, you know, there's going to be enough people who hate me for that reason that I don't have to go seek it out. You know, I don't have to go seek out these things that are going to cause suffering. But at the same time, I need to understand that suffering does come. So I think a, the right theology of suffering is is that we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world, you know, where there's health problems. There's going to be, you know, sent, men sinning against other men, which is going to cause suffering, whether it be war, persecution, you know, those kind of things. And, and so there's a lot of suffering in this world. So really a right theology of it is to understand how as Christians we do, how we are to deal with that suffering and what is the purpose of suffering, you know, in the Christian life. Suffering has nothing to do with faith or lack of faith or just not the right kind of faith, is it? No, I think if anything, the greater our faith, the greater our suffering. Mm. I think it you know, it's interesting. It's not a lack of faith that causes suffering. I think it's actually, it's the opposite. The greater our faith, the greater we suffer for Christ's sake. I think that's a truism. I I wouldn't say, you know, and I had someone, you know, at the church come to me the other day and say, well, I haven't suffered. I'm struggling with that. You know, I wouldn't say that could be, and I think what's interesting about the question that was asked in that particular situation is that I think that this saint had suffered more than he maybe thought he had suffered. Mm -hmm. He didn't see suffering in the same way, you know, that, you know, his life, I mean, I think there's probably more suffering there than what he's even understanding, and if that if that makes sense. Yeah, and I was going to say, even, even maybe not suffering is suffering because you're seeing everybody else suffer. Well, it could be. I mean, it could be that you know, even the burden of, you know, seeing those around you suffering and the burden of dealing with that. If you really have a heart, you know, for people and, and, you know, a heart to see people do well and, you know, you hate to see them going through health problems. You hate to see them going through financial problems or being persecuted. I mean, yeah, I mean, some people have that, that ability to take those things on themselves and that in, in itself is a form of suffering. It's sometimes it's, it is harder to watch our loved ones suffer than for us to go through it. Well, absolutely. I mean, I have children and been blessed in that way. And, and you know, thankfully, my children have been healthy for the most part. But if and when we end up ha- you know, seeing one of our children go through you know, some sort of health problems or whatever happens, that's going to, that, those things are hard. I mean, I know I, I don't look forward to seeing that. Actually, I would, you ask me, I would rather suffer and, than see them suffer. Mm. And so, yes, I mean, I, th- I think that even those situations where someone maybe hasn't suffered as much, if they have a heart for others, you know, they're going to hate to see that, obviously, that, that suffering in other people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. That's hard. Let's dig into this a little bit more about suffering. To start out with, let's ask the question I think a lot of people are thinking. It makes sense that we'll suffer before we're saved. When you think about it, to draw you to the Lord, you know, you, you kind of pulls you to your knees, your suffering. But why, after we're saved and become God's children, do we still suffer? Let's just start right at that point. Well, I think it's interesting because James James is one of my favorite epistles, and part, part of the reason I like James so much is because I've preached it and, and spent a lot of time with James. So I, 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 love the, I love the letter, and I feel like there's a part of me that kind of knows James a little bit. I mean, he's a pretty interesting fella, and when you read through, you know, when you read through James and, and how he put it together and, you know, his thought processes, and, and it's just very, very interesting. But he starts out, the letter, he starts out in James 1, you know, 2, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you 
encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith brings about perseverance, and let perseverance have its perfect work, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so, you know, James, right off, right out of the, literally right out of the gate, says, you know, that we should have joy in our trials. When he speaks of joy, this isn't an outward joy that he's speaking of, but it's an inward joy a joy of the Holy Spirit, a joy of knowing that you're in Christ. And so even though our outward situation, the things that are going on around us are difficult, you know, we see as you, you know, as the letter progresses, we see these people going through incredibly difficult situations because they are following Christ. And yet he says, consider it all joy when those things, when you encounter those things. And the reason you can count it all joy is knowing that the testing of your faith brings about perseverance. Well, it's interesting that, so the purpose of the trial is to give us testing. It's a testing of our faith. And, you know, I said earlier, it's actually the opposite, you know, in terms of suffering, that suffering doesn't reveal a lack of faith. It actually creates a greater faith, because if I endure suffering, if I endure the trial, what he is saying is is that my faith is tested. And, you know, if I put that together with what Peter says, you know, this, this idea of these fiery trials, but this idea of the testing of my faith, you know, removing the dross out of my life, it refines my faith. It tests my faith, but it refines it like gold. And so, you know, because you, you heat gold and it burns off the impurities, well, the testing of your of your faith burns off those impurities the impurities of your faith, and it makes you makes your faith stronger. And that's what James says here, is that that testing, it's that testing of the faith that makes the faith stronger, that gives you endurance, you know, that gives you endurance. And so it's interesting, because what is endurance for? It's, well, it's for greater trials. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, learning how to suffer in even greater ways. You know, and I I want to I want to say, I mean, it's not as if as Christians that we need to run after suffering so it can be a this cross that we can bear so to speak or, you know, a, a badge of honor that we've suffered. You know, I don't go around telling people how much I suffer. I mean, I don't I don't think that's the right way to handle it. I mean, there's enough suffering in this world. I don't have to go seek it out, you know, as some sort of badge of honor, but at the same time, I do know that suffering tests my faith, makes my faith stronger, gives me more endurance, and then that endurance, perseverance, as I continue in the trial, as I continue to suffer, that perseverance will have a perfect work, and that perfect work is really sanctification. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that testing of the faith, and so the greater my faith is, the more I would suffer. You see that in, you know, the giants of the faith. You know, as an example, Paul, the Apostle Paul, you know, I don't know of any person who has suffered any more than the Apostle Paul suffered. And you would have to say, I mean, when we, you know, in terms of, you know, those who have suffered the greatest, I mean, in terms of those who have done the most for the kingdom are the ones who have suffered the greatest. And I would say that Paul would stand right up, well, if not the top one, definitely top top of the top. And so in terms of what his contribution to the church. And so you see then that that it's the suffering that perfects the faith that ultimately sanctifies that then God uses those people in greater and greater ways because their faith has been tested. So yeah, I mean, that's a long answer to say, ultimately, that's the purpose for suffering in the Christian life. So that makes sense. So we suffer to prove that we are truly saved. Yeah, it's interesting that I think it is the—it's interesting. I mean, even you look at the Apostle Paul and, you know, what was going on with him— 
it's interesting that it was his suffering that showed that he truly was an apostle. I mean, he even says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, you know, Paul says, you know, ultimately he's talking about his apostleship. He says this, are, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's seed? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so, and far more labors, and far more imprisonments, and beatings without number, and frequent danger of death. And so what's happening here is that Paul is, there's people who are saying, you know, this is who we are, and, and they're making these boasts, and Paul, and, and, you know, the Corinthians are falling for it, and Paul is saying, look, I will boast. I don't want to, but I will. You know, I'll, I'll say these things. But then but then he takes a turn when he starts talking about far more labors, far more imprisonments and beatings without number and frequent danger of death. Well, what is all that? What's suffering? So ultimately what Paul is saying is, is that it's my suffering that proves my apostleship. I mean, ultimately, if you think about it, if you think about who Paul is and, and the fact that he was who he was prior to becoming an, an apostle, prior to Christ saving him, on the road to Damascus, you know, he was a persecutor of the church. He was this Pharisee. I mean, he was, I mean, the complete enemy of Christ. And God saved him. Christ saved him on the road to Damascus. And ultimately, how were the Christians ever going to trust him? Well, it was if he suffered for Christ's sake. That proved, I mean, if he were if he were who he, I mean, like like who he was before Christ, why in the world would he ever suffer if it weren't true? If he hadn't truly been converted, why would he suffer for Christ's sake? Why would he do that? And so it was ultimately to show, you know, who he was. And, and I think that's what he's getting at when he says that. And then he goes on and he says, then he goes on, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the desolate places, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brothers. I have been in labor and hardship and many sleepless nights and starvation and thirst, often hungry, cold and without enough clothing. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of, the, of concern for all of the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is made to stumble without my burning concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. And so, you know, he's clear there that it's the suffering that shows who he truly is in Christ and shows that he truly mm. is an apostle. Because again, he's in Second Corinthians, he's defending He's defending his apostleship. The suffering tests our faith so that so it shows that who we truly are. Here's what's interesting. If I'm not a Christian and I suffer for Christ's sake, then it's gonna show because if I'm not a Christian, nobody wants pain. I mean, I guess there I should most normal people don't want pain. And so, you know, if I'm suffering for Christ's sake, if I'm truly suffering for his sake, if I'm not a believer, I'm not gonna continue in that. Right? I'm gonna find a way out of it. And, and, it, and so, but if I'm a believer, Christ has the re, a reason for me to suffer, I'm going to persevere. And it proves the, the authenticity of our faith. That's, and that's what, again, 
what James is saying in James 1 is that it's the, it's the testing of our faith that produces this endurance. It proves that. It, sh- it gives us that, proves our faith, gives us perseverance, and it ultimately leads to this saint- to sanctification, that I would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, that I would be more like my Lord. You know, I mean, it, in terms of suffering, because he's the one who suffered the most, obviously on the cross, suffering Father's wrath. And it's interesting, because in, in Colossians 1, you know, Paul says that, filling up what is lacking in Christ's suffering. Colossians 1.24, Colossians 1.24, now I, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, speaking to the Colossian church, and I fill up what is lacking of Christ's afflictions in my flesh on behalf of his body, which is the church. So Paul is saying, I suffer for the church. I suffer for the church, which is the body of Christ. So therefore, I'm suffering for Christ, and so I'm filling up what is lacking, meaning when Christ died on the cross, I mean, they inflicted as much pain. I say they, the Jews, in terms of, obviously it was a Roman cross, but the Jews are the, wanted him there. Those those people wanted him to suffer as much as possible, and obviously that ended, but they didn't stop with the trying to inflict the pain. They wanted to continue to inflict the pain, and Paul is saying, I'm standing there you know, filling up what is lacking. I'm I'm taking that pain upon myself. And so, and it's still, even to this day, I mean, we have, you know, Christians suffer, you know, for the sake of Christ. And, you know, we have people suffering even today because of, you know, filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. They still want to inflict pain on Christ. He's not here today physically, so they do it to, the, you know, his people. I always look at Paul... <laughs> I would have been a little scared of Paul at first because he was such a, he was anti-church, anti-Christianity, and then all of a sudden he converts and you're like, do I trust this guy? But then yeah. when you watch him go through everything he did, I would say absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I th- it, you know, when we read the New Testament and we read what Paul went through and you read and you understand why Paul, why God chose Paul, you know, in terms of, I would argue that he validated the message of the other apostles, you know, that we have someone on the outside, like Paul, who comes in, who Christ saves and brings in, you know, that he now validates that message, and and he does so through his suffering. I mean, that we see that how much he suffered for Christ's sake, and again, it validates the message that he's preaching, but it also validates the message of the other apostles. And so you see that in his life, and you and, and you realize this guy can imminently be be trusted. I can trust his words because of what he suffered on the, on on behalf of Christ. Yeah, and I think the other apostles is the same thing. Absolutely, you look at their lives and the way they died. Absolutely. I don't think they would have endured the suffering they did. I don't think they would have if they hadn't been authentic. And we're not talking to, here's what's interesting, it's not we're not talking about one or two of them suffering. Mm. We're talking about all of them. Even John who lived a long life ultimately suffered. He this suffering was incalculable. I mean, I mean he suffered incredible amounts for for the Lord. Just different than Peter or different than Paul, but but definitely his suffering was was incredible. Let's, let me take a look at the other side. Again, we'll go to the other side and say that Christians shouldn't suffer, which I does, it doesn't make sense just by looking at Scripture. But here's one of the questions that they have, and I'm going to throw this at you. Didn't Christ die on the cross so that I wouldn't have to suffer? They use Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, where it says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and, and chastising for the peace that fell upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. They use that one as that believers should not have to suffer, that Christ did all the suffering. Well, I think if you look at it that way, you're looking at things temporally, meaning that if you're just looking at this life alone, then yeah, I mean, I could understand why that they would say that. But we have to look at everything through an eternal lens. And ultimately, Christ is going to take our suffering away. I mean, ultimately, you know, in terms of etern- it, the in terms of eternity, yes. I mean, I, there when I go to be with Him, there will be no more suffering, and you know, life will be it'll be perfect, eternal bliss. I mean, I, I believe that with all my heart. But I don't think that that, and I think that's what Isaiah is talking about: is that you know, he he bore the ultimate suffering. I mean, he he bore the, his Father's wrath on the cross, which is the greatest suffering anyone's ever ever taken upon themselves. And so I don't have to suffer it, you know, eternally because of what he's done, what he did on the cross, because he took he took upon himself the Father's wrath. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so I mean that's Second Corinthians five twenty one. And so yes, I mean I, I if you're looking at it temporally, then you know, then yeah, I guess the question is, why are we suffering as Christians? But I don't think we can look at it temporally. I think we have to look at it eternally. And ultimately, you have to ask, I think, even the question is, why why, why are we still here? Why are we still on this earth? Once God saves us, why don't He just whisk us out of here? I mean, we can just, just go out on a, on a whirlwind, and, you know, that the Lord would just take us out, you know, that there would be—it would be instant rapture as soon as you— but ultimately, it's because he he left us here so that we could preach the gospel, and part of preaching the gospel is having a testimony, and part of that testimony is suffering for Christ's sake and and doing it well, suffering well for His sake. And so, yeah, I mean, we still live in a sin fallen world. You know, it's a testimony to people when we suffer for His sake. Yeah, and plus, you just read from James; it's all over the Bible that we suffer for a purpose. They're looking at it more. Would you say? Earthly, temporal, is that what you were saying? Yeah, they're looking at it from an earthly point of view, a temporal point of view, that I'm basically, because I've become a Christian, that I can escape the suffering. But that's not at all what Jesus said. You know, Jesus said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so, I mean, it's the Sermon on the Mount, that's, you know, Matthew 5, you know, 510. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, he goes on to say, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And so, I mean, he, he even there at the Sermon on the Mount, which is very early in his you know, his earthly ministry is saying that we, you know, there's a blessedness to, to suffering. There's a purpose, there's a purpose for suffering. And, you know, we're, we're actually preaching through that in, you know, in the, in our, on Sunday mornings. And so, you know, we're early, like the first, you know, Matthew 5, 3, so we haven't quite made it there yet, but, but there is a, you know, he does have a purpose for the suffering in our lives and, and, and ultimately, if you if you read it in context, he says, "You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the of men." And then he says, "This you are the light of the world. A city set upon the hill." Well, part of that being a light of the world and being salt is suffering for his sake, for righteousness' sake, and and so 
you know, he has a purpose for us here. And I think it's, I think it is to be a light to a dark world. I think it is to preach the gospel. And I think we do suffer and it, that our suffering becomes a testimony to those who Christ has called. I agree. So what about this one? I'm going to throw this one at you. Why did Jesus then heal everyone that came to him for healing? The purpose of his healing ministry was to authenticate his ministry and authenticate his word. It's interesting in Matthew 7, 28, now it happened when Jesus had finished these words, he was speaking specifically of the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. And so then right after that, Matthew records, you know, this series of miracles that he performed. And ultimately, what we have to understand is, is that the miracles that Christ performed were to authenticate his ministry, to authenticate his word. And we see that even in the lives of the apostles, where they would do these miracles. And and it was, again, prior to the canon of Scripture being finished, and it authenticated who they were, you know, at the purpose of the healing ministry. And so, in, you know, today we don't have that healing ministry, at least directly the way that the apostles did, uh, you know, in terms of laying hands on people and directly being able to heal them. I have no doubt that God can heal people according to his purposes, and he does so, you know, through prayer, and, and you know, I, I have no, no question in my mind about that. But but at the end of the day, I mean, I, that healing ministry that we, I think we even had a podcast about it, or at least we talked about it on one of the podcasts. But I mean, it, in terms of that, I, we, have this, we have the canon of Scripture already, and we don't need that ministry of showing God's Word is true. We have it, we have it in the canon of Scripture. And so in terms of healing, the purpose of it for Jesus and for the apostles were to show their ministry be true. Now that we have the foundation that was built by the apostles and Christ being the cornerstone, there's no need for the healing ministry at this point. Jesus is the Son of God, and he came, like you said, he was, this was authenticating who he is. So everyone that even touched him got healed. We don't have that power. No. And he himself has said that to his disciples, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. I'm, he, he wasn't saying, touched you all, and now you're all going to be perfect, and it's going to go well, and all that. Looking at Jesus, healing everyone, was a, it was a proof that he is the Messiah. I think it was unique, you know, in terms of his ministry. And, and it uniquely showed who he was, ultimately who he is. And we have those things recorded on the pages of Scripture, what we would call the canon of Scripture. And so Scripture is complete, and you know, I don't need those things. I have the prophetic word made more sure. Those men have authenticated Scripture, and I can look at Scripture, and I can point to the miracles. I can point to the miracles that Christ has done, and I can say just as certain as the people saw them, I can, I can point to Scripture and say that those things happened. Now, I have to recognize that some people aren't going to believe it, you know, because they don't have the faith to believe it. But ultimately, for those who believe it, it's just as powerful as if they actually saw it. I mean, I don't have to see it to believe that it's true. And I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to see a, a man raised from the dead to believe that it's true. Because I, Christ has given me the faith to believe. Yeah, and, le- and let's just, as we wind this 
podcast down. You kind of touched on it at the beginning when you when we thought there's so many ministries out there driving on the health, wealth, prosperity, and they they are saying that Jesus wants you healthy, and so many people jump into that. But when when the health doesn't come, you would think that that would end their ministry. But they always seem to have the standby. Your faith isn't strong enough, like you said. We all are trying to outrun pain. Nobody wants to go through it. We live in a sin-fallen world, and you know God hasn't promised His people that he, that they won't suffer. As a matter of fact, I mean, we see it on the pages of Scripture that that we will suffer, you know, for various reasons. And I think it's the suffering that shows who we are in Christ. The suffering reveals our faith. The suffering makes us more like Christ. And so, anybody who's saying that we we shouldn't have to suffer, and and trying to show that we shouldn't suffer for Christ's sake, or even suffer sickness and, you know, health problems of a, of a Christian who has suffered immensely. Um, you know, Charles Spurgeon suffered depression, and any, any person who has, you know, these ministries that God has given them, you know, these, these amazing ministries, you see a measure of suffering in their lives. You know, those who, who suffered during the Holocaust and, you know, that suffered to protect the Jews. And, you know, you just have story after story after story of people who are suffering for Christ's sake. So anybody who's saying that we Christ doesn't want us to suffer, that he's that the, somehow we should be able to escape that suffering, I think is a false teacher. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a sign of a false teacher. Because most of the time, most of the time it comes down to money. It comes down to power and and money and trying to get you know people to pay them money you know so that they might pray for them or lay hands on them or something you know prayer cloth or something what is they can sell you see that with guys like oral roberts you see that with kenneth copeland benny hinn you look at those guys and they all have fabulous wealth even joel osteen i mean he's not the same as benny hinn or kenneth copeland but i mean osteen is basically health and wealth and prosperity i mean he it's all about you know your best life now you know that you don't have to suffer i mean these guys are charlatans because there is suffering and and you know there's going to be suffering in the Christian life and and you see it clearly on the pages of scripture why aren't these guys being ran out of ministry well it's because there's always somebody there's always somebody that's willing to willing to spend the money or or go down that road of thinking that they can avoid suffering i mean it's i mean it's it's such a human response to avoid pain to avoid suffering, that even though some people in their, you know, if you, if you were to push it, they, you know, they they know in their heart of hearts that it doesn't work. You know, if, if, if these guys, if these guys were truly healers, why aren't they in the children's cancer hospital? You know, why aren't they in, why aren't they healing people in the cancer ward? Why aren't they healing people, you know, that, that have true afflictions, that, that need healing, that are facing great suffering and death. They're not in those places. They're not in those places. And it's because they, they're charlatans. Most people know it, but they're, they're just they're holding out some hope that maybe they can help them. Yeah. And I think that's why there's always, there's always a bunch of people that are going to be in that position, and that's why they are able to ultimately keep going, because you know they never, even though it's constant, they constantly are shown to be charlatans. I mean, it's a, they're, it's a constant testimony that they're charlatans. There's always somebody willing to, you know, to, to believe and think that they can actually do something. 
there there's these schools that are opening up for healing. I know Bethel in California, they have, they have a school for, you know, how to be a healer and all these things. It is almost how to avoid suffering, which is what we shouldn't be running away from. They're trying to pull people away from that. We're just getting started with this and the suffering. How would you summarize what we talked about, suffering? Test our faith and, Tests and authentic, it, authenticates, authenticates it. it. Yes. And we can't avoid it. No, because we live in a fallen world. And so, you know, in, in a fallen world, there's, there's going to be health problems there's going to be men causing men to suffer, whether it be persecution or war or whatever. I mean, even but even nature is against us in terms of trees fall and people are, you know get mm-hmm. hit by them, and you know accidents, car accidents happen in in a fallen world, and so it's it's impossible impossible to avoid suffering. Right, and we don't go looking for it. No, no, no. I don't think as a Christian <laughs> it comes to us. As a Christian, we don't go look. I mean, we shouldn't go looking for. There's enough suffering in the world. I don't have to go create more. No, I know I don't. No, I have not. <laughs> All right, let's uh, pause here and let's jump into our next podcast, which will be podcast 22, and we'll continue this discussion on suffering. We're just beginning down this road, and we're unpeeling, like you always like to say, we're unpeeling the banana. It's actually an onion. Onion, yeah. Uh, I don't like onions as much as bananas, but. All right. Well, let's let's go and we'll we'll jump back into this next time. You've been listening to Fresh Bread, a podcast ministry of Grace Bible Church Gainesville. For more information, go to gracegainesville.org. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.